Hey, this is Sammy Flores. I'm the pastor at Coin Church in Chino, California, and this is our podcast. I'm so grateful you're tuning in. I hope this encourages you and calls you to more because you were made for more. Here's our latest message. I'm in James chapter 5. I'm going to start right here in verse 7. It says this. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. Notice that when we have patience, there is something going on underneath the soil. And, and, and a lot of the writers, because of the time that they were writing, I mean, the only way they had a really good imagery or narrative or story of something growing is vegetation. That's kind of like I said, where you're at, where we're at in our discipleship with Jesus. It's a seed and it grows and it grows and it should be nurtured and there should be water and it should yield and you should take care and, and take notice of when autumn comes and when summer comes and when spring rain comes. He says in verse 8, you too, church. Be patient and stand firm because, here it is again, the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters. Please don't do that. He's talked about that often in the book of James, right? That the overarching theme of James is it's wisdom literature to the New Testament, and it's there should be some action to your faith. There should be something that comes out and a fruit that is produced because of your relationship and your apprenticeship to Jesus. He says, brothers and sisters, don't do that or you'll be judged. And then he like drops a hammer. And again, James just keeps coming at us. It's like, tell us what you really think. He says, the judge is standing at the door. The judge is standing at the door. That's the title of talk today is The Lord is Coming. The Lord is coming. You see, the farmer needs to wait patiently for the working of nature. And so if you find yourself, wherever you're at in the spectrum of faith or of apprenticeship, or maybe you're curious, or maybe you were dragged here, or I don't know how you got here, but you're here. And it says something. And so while you're here, I want to encourage you, whether you're at Life Pacific, shout out to LPU, whether you're at Life Pacific, where you're a mother or a father, where you have, whether you have children, whether you're, you're engaged, whether, wherever you're at in your life's journey, I want to encourage you with something. That God is doing a working in you, whether you know it or not. And then the Christian, what we need to notice and acknowledge is that we need to wait patiently until what? And until, until James would say, the Lord's coming. The Lord's coming. During our waiting, we, we just confirm our faith. That's the important part. As we wait patiently, what should we do? We should confirm our faith. How do we do that? By growing some fruit, like juicy fruit. Fruit that like if someone were to take a bite of, they're like, man, this is what it means to be a part of the gospel story. This is what it means to like know and experience the love of not only the Father, but the love of others. That should be the type of fruit that we should be producing. A fruit that says, yes, I have faith in Jesus, but I'm going to live it out in my everyday ordinary life from Monday through Saturday and when I come on Sunday, all in the in-between with my family, with my friends, with everybody, I'm going to produce some fruit. And as we wait, we must not blame one another, James says, for the troubles of the situation in which we find ourselves. Like we shouldn't be those people that blame others. Don't blame others. Don't grumble against others, James says. As we wait for the Lord, we should not 
judge one another. Jesus' words, which are really important to all of us, they should be. They're like the red letters. It says this in Mark chapter 13. These are Jesus' words. He says, but after that day, what day? The Lord's coming. Or hour, no one knows. So I'm sorry to break it to anyone that thinks they know, but no one knows when he's coming. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father knows. Be on guard. Stand firm. Be alert. You do not know when that time will come. Verse 34 says, it is like a man going away, and he leaves his house, and he puts his servants in charge, and each with their assigned task, and tells the one at the door to keep watch. Be alert. Be attentive. Keep watch. Make sure you're actually looking at the times, and you're looking at yourself, and you're looking at each other. Make sure you're alert because the Lord's coming is near. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back. Symbolic language, narrative language. Whether in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows in the morning or at dawn. If he suddenly comes, do not let him find you sleeping. Meaning, not on edge, not alert, not attentive to the things of God. And he says, what I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. That's Jesus' words, watch. The Lord's coming is near. Verse 8, it says, we, it says, you too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. So for some of us, we love this, by the way. Oh, we, we eat this up. I, I don't know if you've like grown up in church. I went to a church where it was like every single week, the pastor reminded us, Jesus is coming. Did you know that? Get right with God. You're going to meet the judge. Are you good with God? Like every single week. And I remember being as like a little kid. And then, and then, oh God, help us, the book of Revelation. And we have like this love, hate, mainly fear of it. My mom, when I was younger, she would turn on the book of Revelation. And then I'd go to sleep. She'd be like, okay, good night. And like, and I could hear. And then it, there was like this certain voice. And then the white horse and the black horse came. And it was just like, whoa, what is going on? It's like this, this apocalyptic end times type of literature in the, the New Testament, right? And it's daunting for many of us. And then what happens is we get really weird and we try to plan, we try to manipulate, and we try to always tell people when Jesus is coming. I don't know if you remember, I graduated in high school, the class of 2012. I know I'm young, right? But I graduated and some of you are like, man, you're old. I'm not old, not even close. In class of 2012, and I remember for those that were in that time in high school, it was like, that's when the end of the world is coming. Do you guys know that? You remember that? <laughs> I remember just thinking like, oh, oh, well, the Lord's coming. And so many people, though, would get so afraid, and they would buy this and buy that, and they would get like, spend millions of dollars and get like bunker cells because they didn't know it was going to, do you remember that? Or it's like Armageddon is coming and it's Armageddon and we don't know what's going to happen. And it's sorry to burst your theological bubble, but there's many different eschatology and theology of how the end times will actually occur. I don't know about you. I'm not going to like put up a, a this is what happens and this is what happens and this is what happens. We don't for sure know. All you have to do is do a little bit biblical interpretation and do your study and you will see there are actually multiple ways that Jesus will come. All I know when I step from that is Jesus is coming back. Did you know that? I don't think we talk about that in the church enough. 
That, that, and, and what a time to remind us, like we're in James chapter 5, we didn't manipulate, I didn't know this was going to happen in Afghanistan and the terror and the, and the worry and, and many of us now anxiety and fear is creeping back in and it's like, and then COVID and then a vaccine, do I do it or do I not? And it's just like this terror, this fear, this worry, may I remind all of us that Jesus is coming back. He's coming back. If, if we don't know that, why are we coming to church? And I got to remind you, I, I apologize, we're still a baby church. We're like three, four years in. We're still like, like Lenya's not even three or four years old yet. So we got a lot of growing to do, right? But may we always remember, and this is probably the first time I've talked about this, but Jesus is actually coming back. And he's, just, he's coming, not spe- for, there's many specific reasons, but his main point of reference to come back, he told his disciples, he said, take heed, watch, I will leave, but I'm going to leave with you my helper, the Holy Spirit, the power of God, the movement of God, the same power that rose Jesus, him from the dead is within you, so you will have confidence wherever you go. And he says, but I'm going to come back for my, he uses this language, bride. That is why, notice, I believe it's James chapter 5. No, James chapter 4, he says, you adulterous people. Jesus recognizes you as his bride. So may we not flirt so much with worldly cultural things and neglect and forget that we are actually married and in union to Jesus. And I'm sorry, that's like real deep mature language, but we should be in union with God. He uses that language in marriage. We don't have a good theology of marriage, but when you get married, you're in union. And you got to work through things and deal through things, and it's a relationship, and you show up, and you communicate, and you talk, and then the more the years compound and compound, you begin a true oneness with somebody, right? That's how it should be with Jesus. He's coming back for his bride. He's coming back for his church. And notice, he tells Peter, and by the way, the gates of hell can never come against it. We're still, we're still here. Do you remember that weird, interesting time in our history that is like, is the church done? Are we ever going to come back? Well, we, we are, and we're here. And may I remind you through James, the Lord's coming is near. But it's also a relative thing. Get this, let's just, let's just get, uh, 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 like, I don't know if mystic is the word, but like, let's just imagine that, that when James was being read to the church at large, because he opens his letter and he's, he's writing to churches that were persecuted. Literally, you had a death warrant on your life if you were a follower of Jesus at this time when James, the leader, one of the leaders in the Jerusalem council was writing this. If you claim Jesus, your head would be cut off or you would be stoned to death. You had a death warrant. So imagine, though, somebody kicks the door in in the church, in like Second Century Church, and a guy comes in and is like, hey, guys, you're not going to believe this. We're going to be reading this letter in like 2021. And they're like, what are you talking about? James is telling us the Lord's coming is near. It's like, no, 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 no. I'm coming like from the future, and I'm here, and I'm letting you know that in 2021 we're going to be reading this. We're going to be reading this. You see, in 60 AD, 30 years after the resurrection, you cannot imagine how hard it was to be following Jesus. We don't really know how hard it is. The Spirit says to the church, stand firm. Jesus is near. The judge is at the door, and they grab their kids. They grab their children, and they say, thank God he's coming. 
thank God he's coming. That's when, when James was written. Imagine what they were hugging and excited and celebrating. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. So what does it mean for us? And then what, what if that same exact person were to come into the church right now? Boom, we hear the church doors open and someone comes in and is like, hey, you guys aren't going to believe this. In 3021, this book's going to be read. And we're like, no, no, no. The Lord is coming. You have no idea. He could come like today or tomorrow. You, don't you see the mark of the beast and this and that? He's coming. But he, wh wh what would we do? How would we react? How would we live our lives any different? Now, by the way, I'm not saying, I'm not claiming I know, I'm not saying Jesus is going to come in 30 to 21. Don't mishear me. I'm not even saying it's going to take that long. I have no idea when it's going to be. But what if that happened? It's not possibility that the Lord is near may be a relative term, could it? God has always been and will always be. Did you know that? Maybe you need to be reminded of, of, of the power of God. It can seem as if we look and look, turn the news on that he's not in, he's in control. When he created Adam, and I believe this, I believe he created the foundations of the worth. The, script, the song says, as the spirit was moving over the waters, God established the kingdom of God, the heavens and the earth and the water and the sky and the mountains. And then he established Adam and then Adam, through Adam there was Cain and Abel and then through Cain and Abel there's this lineage and then finally there's this guy named Abraham. He was the same God with Abraham as he is with you now? Yeah. And then Abraham had a son named Isaac and Isaac had, had sons, right? And then one of them continued to go on and on and on. And then we find Joseph, and as he walked into Pharaoh's chambers, and he was in the dungeon, and now he's in his destiny. The same God with Joseph is the same God with us now. And then if you move forward to a man named Joshua, as Moses passed down the mantle, and Joshua took his step in the Jordan River, symbolic to how Moses parted the seas through the power of God, that same Joshua, as God did that, is with us today. And he moved and he created a kingdom. He chose his people, the, the, the Israelites in the land of Canaan, and they were Jewish and they were set apart. That same God is with us today. And then John the Baptist comes on. For a period of years, it was like, where is the spirit? Where is the spirit? What's happening? I, there's no prophetic word. There's no prophets arising. It almost seemed like God was silent. And then a man comes up named John the Baptist. Talk about someone who knows their identity. Many were coming to him. Many were coming. They were baptizing him. His song, his, his, song, his, his sermon was repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. And then he says, oh, but... But that, that one, Jesus, he is the way. And all eyes on him, he just put it back on Jesus. By the way, that should be us. It should, it should never be look at me or my accolades or what I've done or who I, it's always, no, 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 no. This is, just look, the way, the, John pointed the way to Jesus. That same Jesus with John the Baptist is the same God today. So God is saying, I need you to see eternity the way that I see it. I have woven eternity into your soul. Did you know that? That your soul is everlasting? Think about that for a second. That'll hurt your head. Your soul is never ending. When you die, I'm sorry to, I'm sorry to break it to you. You're not going to be a chicken. You're not going to be a whale. When you die, I'm sorry to break it to you. You're not going to like live such a good life 
that you become like a shark. No, like the scripture says to be absent from the body is to be present from the Lord. The scripture says that, that God breathed this ruach, this wind in Adam. And it was the spirit, the very spirit of God went into Adam. And that, that spirit is symbolic of a soul. You embody a soul and that soul, I'm sorry to break it to you, lives forever. And I don't really know what's going to happen other than I believe in a heaven and a hell. And I believe that when you follow Jesus and you reach out to Jesus and you, and you, you take care of your soul in relationship and with God, you love God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength, and then you love each other as you love. I believe that when you confirm and confess and there's fruit in your life, you will be in heaven. That's why we celebrate. Did you know that's why we celebrate? Did you know that's why I kind of get excited? I'm like, yeah, spirit was moving. And then I'm thinking of all the horrible things going on in the earth. And I'm like, no, no, no. I know if I were to die today, I would be, I would be with Jesus. And we got to get this part right, church. God is saying, I'm at the door. I'm at the door. For like two days, four days, Jesus? Three days because you, or three, is it millennia? Because like you rose on the three, no. He's just at the door and he needs you to know. He can open it whenever he wants. Both symbolic for your soul individually and for the church and the world at large. He can, the spirit of God is knocking. Are you going to open it? The, the, the author of, of Revelation says, he knocks, behold, I wait and I knock. Will you open the door of your soul? Let's be honest, some of us are not ready for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords to be at the door, right? James says God is filled with mercy and compassion though. He says grace all the more. You need to know that the judge is at the door is actually filled with mercy and compassion. He loves you and he's waiting for you. Why would he wait that long at the door if he just wanted revenge on your life or with a coward brow? We have like such a horrible negative connotation, gossip of Jesus and of God. He's not waiting with a coward brow. He's knocking as a shepherd would. I'm looking for you. How are you doing? How is your soul? I love you. I want you to join me. Come open the door so that I can eat with you. The author of Revelation says, John says, Jesus is inviting you to a table of union for the rest of your life. But you got to know, I mean, the Bible says the judge is at the door. So be ready, be ready, be ready. Did you guys ever hear that? I don't know. I, I heard that every Sunday. Be ready. Be ready. Jesus coming. He could come. Man, look at the news. Look at Israel. Look at this. Yes. Yeah, be ready. 100%. So the question is, if, if there was a, a church or coin church 3021, what legacy would you leave? What, what legacy would you leave? Would you just be the type of person that just kind of waits on the rocker? Ah, oh, Jesus is coming. I'm just waiting for Jesus. And doing nothing when there is a church of people that, like me, are broken and that need a savior and that need to be reminded of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit over our lives? Or are you just going to, oh, I'm just waiting for Jesus? It's like, no, not, not me. I would pray not us, that we would be active desiring to create a legacy because watch this what if you for sure what if you knew though in your lifetime you wouldn't see Jesus I'm not saying you will or you won't but what if you did it there's a possibility you won't right what about your kids what about your children 
What about your children's children? What about your marriage? What about the people in your life, in your circle of influence? Will you make an impression of Jesus or of somebody or something else? What legacy will you bring? If I'm being honest, I hope it's not today. Paul said, if I leave, it's good for me, but if I stay, it's good for you. He said, if I go, I win, and if I stay, I win. Why did he say that? Paul was confident of the work that he had to do here on earth. And I would say a mature follower of Jesus is like, no, not yet, Jesus. I got some work to do. Not yet, Jesus. Let the spirit of God dwell within me so that I can show hope and peace and mercy and compassion to a broken world and a broken church. That's the legacy I want to live. That's the legacy I want to leave. I want to reach more people and remind them that Jesus is coming and that's a good thing. So while we're in the in-between, James urges us to take on three characteristics. And I'm almost done here. So if you're taking notes, you, you'll, you'll want to write this down if you're a note taker. Three characteristics for the church. Here's the first characteristic. And I found this in, in, in James chapter 5. The first characteristic when Jesus comes back is hopefully we are a singing church. A singing church. James 5 says, is anyone happy? Let them sing a song of praise. Colossians 3 Paul says this, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through what? Psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your heart. Why would you have gratitude in your heart? We're happy. There is singing in the house of God because there should be and there is joy. You can't argue that. There is joy in the house of God. We know why. Why is there joy? Because I, I know I'm saved, I'm sanctified, and I'm set free, baby. You, I, you can't take that from me. I know if that if a meteorite were to come right here right now, if there was a nuke from wherever, I don't know, I know that I will be in the presence of my God. I am confident of that. I'm positive of, positive of that. So for me, I know that when I come into church and I'm with the body of Christ, come on, I'm with the body of Christ that thinks maybe different political perspectives, what you think about this or that, but I know we have one thing in common. It's Christ crucified and his blood has cleansed us and made us clean. So yeah, when I get up and I'm worshiping and Jonathan's doing his thing, I'm excited because I, I want to be a part of a singing church that says, yes, I'm saved. Yes, I'm sanctified. Yes, I'm not as good as I was yesterday, but I'm going somewhere in Christ-likeness because Jesus is coming soon. He's at the door. Yeah, come on, Kevin. <laughs> We know that the evil one no longer has power over our lives. That's why we sing. Do you know that? You can't stop me, Satan. I said it last week. Greater is, is he that is in me than he that is in the world. You cannot stop me. You can make me tired. You could try to wear me out. But there's no dualism. We talked about that, Maggie. She's a, there's no dualism between God and Satan. It's not like, oh, let's get him in a boxing match and see what happens. Is Jesus going to win round two? No. The ultimate expression of power is, is within God. There is no dualism. So the evil one, he can harass, he can try to come against us, he can try to manipulate us. He can, at times it feels like he is winning. But when I come into church, I'm happy and I'm singing because I know I have power over him. Not on my own might, but on the power 
of the Holy Spirit in my life. The church, by the way, has always been singing. We need to learn why. We need to know it's the body of Christ. I say this, I, I mean, it's a funny thing, but I just want to be real. Like, I don't want to be a church of the chosen frozen. I don't know if you've ever heard that expression. Meaning we're not happy, we're excited, and we just kind of come, and we just sit down, and we're just like, yeah, whatever. I'd rather be at, like, a football game. Go Chargers. And it's like, what? Like, you've missed it. Friends, you've missed it. Brothers and sisters, we've missed it if that's how we think of church. We should not be a church of the chosen frozen. When Pliny, this is real like theological and, and academic, when Pliny, historical, who was a governor in the Roman Empire, wrote to the emperor, so you can look it up and do your own dil historical due diligence. The emperor in AD 111, to, he wrote to him, this new sect of Christians, he wrote about this, okay? About an emperor, to an emperor, he said, they are in the habit of meeting on a certain fixed day before it is light. And when they sing, when they sing, in alternate verses, a hymn to Christ as God. This is a governor who's going and getting information for the emperor, and he's saying, these weird Christians, they call themselves Christians, they're singing on a fixed day, like hymns to Christ. The church has from the beginning until now has been a church of music, of praise, for we remember an infinite love and enjoy a present glory. Here's the second characteristic, a healing church. Did you know that? We should be, when Jesus comes back, whenever that is, he should recognize and see a healing church, a church that heals people. James says, is any among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. The church inherited this tradition from Judaism. I don't know if you knew that. When a Jew was ill, he didn't go to the doctor. Guess who he went to? His rabbi. And the rabbi would anoint him with oil, and they would be healed. They wouldn't go to the doctor. They'd go to a rabbi. That's interesting. Justin Martyr writes in the second century that countless people possessed by demons were healed by Christians when all other exorcists had been unable to cure them and drugs had no effect. Irenaeus, a theologian in the late second century, tells us that sick were still healed by having laid hands on them. Tertullian, another theologian, wrote midway through the third century, says that the Roman emperor, the Roman emperor himself, Alexander Severus, was healed by anointing at the hands of a Christian named Torpassion. This is in the history books, by the way. And that emperor's gratitude kept Torpassion as a guest in his palace until the day of his death. He was sick as a Roman emperor, and a Christian came along and said, no, no, no. We're a part of a healing church, a healing messiah. Let me pray for you, and he was healed. Here's the third and last characteristic, and the worship can come on up. Third characteristic of a church, that when Jesus comes back through the book of James, it should be a praying church, a praying church. I would listen to this pastor named David Wilkerson, and David Wilkerson was probably about my age when he was in New York, Pennsylvania area. He's actually in Pennsylvania, not too far from New York, and God gave him a word to go and save or help these young gangsters that had just committed murder and rape and treason over like a, a bunch of people. And this man, David Wilkerson, was praying. He was praying. And the Spirit of God came upon him and he said, I want, the Spirit said, I want you to go 
and preach and save these, these kids. And so this, this young preacher white guy named David Wilkerson, he got up and he drove all the way to New York. The story is wrong. The book is called The Cross, The Switch. What is it called? The, the Cross and the Switchblade. The Cross and the Switchblade. And long story short, I remember reading this when I was in Bible school, like blown away by this guy, David Wilkerson's story. With, by the way, if you know his story, there's a thing, uh, an organization called Teen Challenge. But notice what he would do, long story short, he went and he listened to the voice of God and it was found in prayer, in his prayer closet. He goes, he listens, everybody thinks he's crazy. His denomination thinks he's crazy and he goes on the streets and they mock him and he's walking and he's praying. He's saying, Jesus, God, you told me to go and I don't understand, I don't know what to do. And right then one of the boys said, hey, you're that preacher guy on the newspaper. And long story short, when cocaine and meth, one of those drugs was really on loose, the only thing David says that cured them was the power of the Holy Spirit. That was the only thing that set him free. James 5, 16, 16 says, therefore confess your sins to one another, pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. The rabbis of the Jewish faith believed before people could be healed of their sickness, their sins must be forgiven by God. Nowadays, we can't make the automatic identification, but this, this remains true. No one can know any health of soul or mind or body without being right with God. Can't we all agree to that? Let's just talk about the spiritual component. I need to, I need to pursue Christ's light. I need to get right with God. I need to pray. I need to ask him to move in my life and forgive me of my mess-ups. And I, be, I become right with him, but not by anything I've done, but by what Jesus has done. By his righteousness alone, I'm right with God. And so now Jesus can do a work on my soul. And by the way, he doesn't want to just do a work on your soul. He wants to do a work on your mind. And he also wants to do a work on your body. Above all, we must recognize there, there is no limits that can be set to the power of prayer. Prayer is limitless on God's power. So I'll end with this. This is like a, a really quick transition, but this one, as like someone that desires evangelism, desires those that are lost to know Jesus, he says this and he ends. We end James chapter five, verses 19 through 20. And this is the message paraphrase. It says this, my dear friends, if you know people who have wandered off from God's truth, don't write them off. Why would you do that? Why would you write them off? Why would you mock them? Why would you judge them? Why would you say this and that about them? He says, go after them. Get them back, and if you will have rescued precious lives from destruction and prevented an epidemic of wandering away from God, he says, don't you know that, that we participate with actually what Jesus has done when we reach people that may may not know God, or maybe they're far from God, or maybe they don't want anything to do with God, or maybe they knew God and they've wandered off. It is our job to love them. Why? The Lord is he's coming. He's near. So a praying church for friends and family that are far from God or who need a desperate touch of God, may we pray for our children, for our siblings, for our neighbors, for those that are close to us, for those that are far from us, that they would come to know the beauty and the wonder of Jesus Christ. Why? Because Jesus is coming, guys. He's coming. Is your soul ready? Is your heart ready? I mean, if he came today, would you be ready? That's kind of scary. But I don't know when he's coming. Please don't tell me when he is, because no one knows. But he's coming back. And so while I patiently wait like a farmer does for his plants, 
when the autumn comes and the winter comes, I'm going to be doing a work on my soul as I participate with the divine Christ. Whatever he wants to do in my life, it's yours, Jesus. I want to submit to you. I want to live for you. I want to walk in your glory. I want to take a step of faith and know that you are with me and not against me. So, Jesus, do whatever you need to do in my life so that my marriage is healthy and my relationship with my children are healthy. And when I look at my family in origin and there's cutoff after cutoff after cutoff, I say through the power of the Holy Spirit, no, devil, you cannot do that in my life with my legacy. I have the Holy Spirit, and God wants to move in my life, but also at the same time, I need to remind myself, we do too, church, that Jesus is coming. May we be ready for that.